Hey, um, my name is Megan. I'm a member here at the Heights, and we're going to spend time in God's Word together now. Um, today's teaching comes from Mark 15, verses 33 through 39 in the Bible. The large numbers are chapters, and the small numbers are verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink, and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you would speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to not just listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July. Um, yeah, you can cheer for that. Um, let's, I want you to grab a Bible, um, grab, out your, grab your phone, pull it out, open it up, turn it on. Um, we're going to jump right in this morning because last week, last week we actually left ourselves in the middle of a moment. But not just any moment, we left ourselves in what Christianity would claim is the most pivotal moment in human history, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so we're going to jump in on the middle of this moment. But before we do, I want to do a little bit of a recap. You see, what makes this moment so significant is that there is a tension that has been building in the book of Mark. Um, We've been studying the book of Mark for a while. We've taken a couple of breaks from it. We've been in the book of Mark so long that we started it before my family actually got here. So um, there's a tension that's been building, and it's going to get resolved today. And so we need to look back at the book of Mark and, and see this tension in order to see how it gets resolved. Corbin used this analogy um, a while back. You know, a good TV series will give you a, a recap of what's been happening, Right? It'll say previously on, you know, Loki, and it'll show you all the things that have been happening that have led up to this moment. And the really good ones will show you not just like the last episode, but it'll show you several episodes in a row because what's happened is there's been little details along the way that you didn't see that are going to get it resolved in this moment. And so that's what I want to do. I want to give you a recap of the book of Mark, and I want to do it in about... 30 seconds. All right? So we're, we're going to fly through this, all right? I need you to hang with me. I need you to get excited. The book of Mark in 30 seconds. Previously in the book of Mark. In Mark 1.1, Mark opens his gospel with these words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God, telling you right out of the gate who Jesus is. In Mark 1.23, Jesus drives an evil spirit from someone and says, I know who you are, the Holy One 
of God. In Mark 1 through 3, Jesus goes around healing the sick and preaching good news to the poor. The crowds are amazed and more and more people come and get healed. In Mark 3, the religious leaders, threatened by Jesus, begin to conspire against him. They accuse him of having a demon. Even, G- even Jesus' earthly family think he has gone crazy. In Mark 4, Jesus calms the storm and his disciples are amazed, saying, Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Mark 5 through 7, Jesus heals more people. People get healed even from those, even just from touching his robe. In Mark 6, Jesus gets rejected in his hometown. In Mark 8, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, You are the Messiah, another name for Savior. We think somebody has finally gotten it. Jesus then tells his disciples he must suffer and die. Immediately, Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him, for which Peter gets called Satan. In Mark 9, Jesus is transfigured into his spiritual form in front of three of his disciples, and a loud voice says from heaven, this is my son, listen to him. I love that. It's like, this is my son, listen to him. In Mark 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling a prophecy of how the Messiah would come. In Mark 12, breath here. Jesus predicts his death, saying that if they had rejected the Father, they would reject the Son. In Mark 14, things begin to escalate quickly. The religious leaders plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus predicts that all his disciples will abandon him. One of these disciples, Judas, betrays him, hands him over to be arrested. All his disciples desert him and run away. The religious leaders bring false accusations against him, but they can't make him stick because none of their stories agree with each other. Finally, they ask him if he is the Messiah. He says yes, and they accuse him of blasphemy. And now in Mark 15, the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, the local governor, because they can't actually try a person. Pilate actually finds Jesus innocent. We saw this a few weeks ago. But because he doesn't want to upset the crowd, he gives the decision to the crowds. You can free Jesus, the teacher and healer, or you can free Barabbas, a murderer and a rebel. rebel. And to Pilate's surprise and perhaps the most heartbreaking moment, right? The crowds, blind to who Jesus was and drawn to this rebel who had fought for Jewish freedom, choose to set Barabbas free and crucify Jesus. And thus ends your recap of the book of Mark. All right. And so, the question we should be asking, right, is how can everyone be so blind to Jesus. How can so many of these people who saw what Jesus did, heard what he said, not be able to recognize who he was? And it's an important question, right? Because sometimes we don't see Jesus either. I mean, think about it. I don't know if you've ever wrestled this. Why is it that two people can hear the same message about Jesus and one person believes and the other doesn't? Or maybe you've wrestled with it this way. Why is it that some days, some days I can see Jesus in everything, and other days I can't see him at all? Or one moment I'm following him, and I, I can see him moving in my life, and then, you know, like maybe the same afternoon, I'm just living for myself. You come to church on Sunday, you have this moment of encountering God, and then Monday it just seems like you fall back into the same old thing. Well, today is 
today Jesus is going to show us something in his death that not only answers those questions, it provides us with a solution. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see, first, the reality of spiritual darkness. That apart from Jesus, we actually walk in a kind of darkness, okay? That prevents us from being able to see. Second, we're going to see how Jesus took on that darkness. And then last, we're going to see how Jesus makes a way for us out of the darkness. All right? So we're going to start back in verse 24. We read this last week just to give you guys some context. Verse 24, this is Mark um, 15, verse 24, if you're following along. It says, Then they crucified him, and they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him said, The king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. We're going to jump down to verse 29. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. By the way, can we just like note the kind of like, I mean, it's just like the immaturity. Ha! You know, it's like, that's all you got. Um, Save yourself by coming down from the cross. Verse 33, when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so what I want you to see first is that Jesus has been on the cross for three hours And suddenly, as death draws near, even though it is the middle of the day, a thick darkness comes down all around him. So what's happening? Well, the easiest explanation some people might suggest would be that some kind of natural event, right? Like a solar eclipse. But if you've ever seen a solar eclipse, right, it's kind of cool, but it's also kind of disappointing because it only lasts a few minutes, not a few hours. And besides, this actually wasn't even the season when a solar eclipse have occurred. And so other people have suggested that perhaps this was some kind of sandstorm, like dust get kicks up in the air, blocks out the sun, right? But this, again, this event occurred during Passover, which was not the dry season, it was the wet season. And so there wouldn't have been dust that this could have happened. And so we're supposed to see that this wasn't a natural darkness. It was a supernatural darkness. And it was a supernatural darkness to show us the darkness that we live in and the darkness that Jesus had to take on and deliver us from. Light versus darkness is actually a major theme in the Bible. In the Bible, God is sometimes compared to the sun, right? The sun is a source of light and even visible truth, right? Because by it, we see things. We see what is out there. It's also the source of life because without it, nothing could grow and live. Similarly, the Bible says that God is the source of all truth and all life. When your life centers around God, you walk in the light and you experience truth and life. But when you turn away from God and center your life 
on anything else, a relationship, a career, money, the result, the Bible says, is spiritual darkness. You are turning away from the truth, from God's way toward darkness. Without light, right, most living things die, and the same thing happens when we live in darkness. And so, for me, if ministry becomes the center of my life, it might be life-giving for me for a while, as long as I'm doing it well, but if there are moments where I don't do it well, then instead of life, ministry actually brings death. It actually brings disappointment. It actually brings guilt. And the same thing is true for what you do, your career. If you're doing it well, then it brings life. If things aren't going well, then it brings disappointment. It brings death. It only loves you for what you give to it. Likewise, if two people love each other, that's amazing. But if they love each other more than God, then they can become to depend on each other for love, what psychologists call codependency. But more often than not, for, for us, right, there's not just one thing. Usually it's a bunch of things together that we choose to love more than God. A combination of things that together seem to make us happy, but ultimately draw us away from Jesus. And the greatest challenge with all this is not just that it happens. It's that as it happens, we don't see it happening. We don't see it clearly. We think we have a plan. We think we're doing great. And then all of a sudden we realize because something goes wrong that we aren't doing as well as we thought we were. Because here is the thing. Real darkness is disorienting, right? Um, we, don't, we don't experience like physical darkness very often, right? Um, even at night, like usually there's a, like a street lamp outside your house, right? Or there's lights on in your house or you know, we have enough gadgets now that, like, you know, things are lit up, you know, somewhere. But if you can think about the last time that you experienced total darkness, you can imagine, like, what I'm describing, right? My family and I um, went with our staff on our first, first camping trip since we've been in Colorado. Let's go, right? First of many to come. Went really well. You never know with kids, but it was great. Um, and if you've ever been camping, like in the middle of nowhere, you know the worst thing about camping in the middle of nowhere is what? It's when you wake up in the middle of the night, you have to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> like, like, let's just be honest, right? You wake up, and you're just like fumbling around in the darkness. Like, if you're smart, you know, you've put like a light next to your bed, you know where it is, but I wasn't smart. So I'm waking up in the middle of the night, and I'm just literally like, I can't see anything, I don't know where I am, but I need to get out of here. And then it's like, you, you know, you find a light and, um, you know, I'm like trying to unzip the tent without waking up my children and then you get outside. And even with light, you can see no more than like a few free, feet in front of you. Now, I know some of you guys have like these like super power charged headlamps, Johnny, but not all of us have those. You get the idea though, right? If you can think of a moment like that, when you've experienced that total darkness, then you, you get this picture of what's being described. It's disorienting. 
You think you know where you are, you think you know where you're headed, but you actually have no idea. In 1914, a, uh, a British explorer named Ernest Shackleton and his crew took a ship to Antarctica. Their plan was to cross over the South Pole. Sounds a little crazy to me, but you know. They had to quickly abandon their plan, though, because their ship got caught in polar ice and destroyed. And so all of a sudden, this mission to try and get to the South Pole and go to the other side just became literally a fight for survival, to get out alive. And it's interesting, Shackleton's biographers said that of all the difficulties that they faced, right? Starvation, freezing temperature. I mean, this is like, this is the South Pole. It's cold. <laughs> the worst was actually the darkness. Near the South Pole, the sun goes down from mid-May to the end of July. And so for two months, there's literally no sunlight. You can't see anything. And there's, Shackleton's biographers described this, they said, in all the world, there's nothing more desolating than total darkness. The darkness is so deep, you can't just not see where you're going, you can't see where you've been, you can't see where you are. Physical darkness is disorienting, and the, the same is true with spiritual darkness. We think we see clearly, but we're actually blinded to reality. This is why even Jesus' disciples couldn't see who he was. This is why you and I, left to ourselves, can't see Jesus either. And this is why even, even when we believe in Jesus, we can fall into this trap of thinking we see things clearly, but missing out on some of the darkness that's still in our lives. We don't realize how much we don't see. I remember when I was a, a kid, I got my first pair of glasses, um, Anybody wear glasses, contacts? Yeah, a lot of us. And um, I think I, I don't remember how old I was, but I was old enough to like, this is a deal, right? Like, I wasn't excited about it for obvious reasons, you know. But I remember going to get my first pair of glasses and putting those glasses on. And this is a funny detail, but it's just stuck in my mind. The first thing that I remember is that trees had leaves, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's like you're used to just seeing like big green blob, blurry blobs. You're like, there's leaves. It's, it was just amazing. I didn't, I didn't know how much I, I didn't see until I put on the glasses. And that's the reality of our spiritual state apart from Jesus. But there's good news, and this good news shows us in this passage how much God loves us and what he's done for us because Jesus takes on our darkness for us. Look back at verses 33 through 34. It says, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I have no idea if that's how you actually said that. But I just, you know, if you say it with confidence, then it's good. Which is translated, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why does the darkness come down? First, to show us the reality of our darkness. 
but second, to show us how Jesus takes on our darkness. Listen to this. Scholars, scholars point out, Corbin talked about this last week, that as much as the, the author of the Gospel of Mark talks about um, the physical things that Jesus suffered, he spends more time talking about the spiritual and the psychological and the emotional things that Jesus faced. And so Mark shows us, as we've already seen in our, you know, in our little recap, is how Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends. How he was mocked. How he was shamed by the people around him. But listen to this, what Jesus experienced from the people around him didn't compare to what he felt as the darkness came upon him. You see, what's happening in this moment is that God is taking all of our spiritual darkness, all the things that we've done that weren't centered on God, and he is placing all those things upon Jesus. Tim Keller writes, he says, every evil, listen to this, every evil that our sin in the world can throw at us, Jesus received. The betrayal that you felt by a friend or a loved one, Jesus received. The sins of others against you, maybe even your own father or mother, Jesus received. The guilt and the shame that you felt at your own mistakes, Jesus received. That thing that you even did maybe in the last 24 hours that you could go back, you wish you could go back and undo, Jesus received every evil that has happened in the past and every evil that could happen in the future against you, Jesus has received. And we know he's received them. We can have confidence that he has taken all those things Onto himself, because in this moment where he is dying, he experiences something that is far worse than any physical torment or even emotional pain that he had experienced on behalf of others. He experiences separation from God the Father. Some of you guys may have been here when I, I preached uh, last time and I talked about this dance, right? that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have lived in throughout eternity. It's a picture, I use the word dance because it's a picture of the closeness that our God who exists in these three persons lives out and has lived out since eternity. Perfect relationship, perfect understanding, perfect love between these three members of the Trinity and all of a sudden in this moment that gets what, what Jesus experiences what he feels is separation from that when Jesus says my God my God that's, that's language of intimacy right like if I described my wife as my Jamie that's language of intimacy it means something if after our gathering, one of you guys came up to me and said, I never want to see you again. 
that would feel pretty painful. Please don't do that. But if after our gathering, Jamie came to me and said, I never want to see you again, then that would feel even more painful, right? Because the deeper the love, the greater the torment at its loss. And this forsakenness, this abandonment that Jesus experiences in this moment is an abandonment from God the Father that he had known from all eternity. And he did it for you. When Jesus said, my God, my God, listen to this. We said, when he asked this question, why have you forsaken me? This wasn't a rhetorical question. Jesus already knew the answer. He wasn't trying to persuade God to like a different course of action. He was crying out in the pain of what he was experiencing, but he knew in that moment the answer to his question. For me, for you, for everyone. And Jesus does this in order to make a way for us out of the darkness. Look at verse 37. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. bottom. Um, and then the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, and he said, truly this man was the son of God. All right, let's talk about curtains. Things I never thought I would say from, from this stage. Uh, let's talk about curtains. The curtain in the temple was not like some flimsy kind of thin veil. It was heavy and thick, almost like a wall, almost that substantial. And it was that way on purpose because it separated the holy of holies, where God's presence would come, from the rest of the temple, from the places that that we could enter. It separated the people from the presence of God. Only the holiest man, the high priest, from the holiest nation, on the holiest day of the year, that day of atonement, could enter the holy of holies. And so the curtain said very loudly and clearly that it was impossible for anyone sinful, anyone in spiritual darkness, to enter the light of God's presence. So... At the moment Jesus dies, that curtain is ripped from top to bottom. You just need to let that image sink in with you. This is what separated you from the presence of God. It was there for your protection because with your sinfulness, with my sinfulness, with our darkness, if we were to have entered into that place, it would have destroyed us because light and darkness can't, can't be together. And so we existed in this separation, but in this moment, Jesus dies and that curtain is ripped all the way from the top to the bottom. Jesus took on our darkness and by dying the death that he should have died, 
in our place, anybody who wants to receive it can now come to God. And look, don't miss this. Look at what happens in this moment. After countless people have been unable to see who Jesus was, all of a sudden, a Roman centurion, a soldier, says, truly this man was the Son of God. His confession is momentous because it shows us how easy it is. It was hard before, but now how easy it is for us to come to God. This soldier had likely not only just presided over Jesus' death, this soldier had likely been one of those that mocked him, that scorned him, that helped crucify him. He was, in many senses, the most unlikely person to come to God. But because of what Jesus had done on the cross, his darkness no longer held him. And something about what he sees in this moment as Jesus dies pierces him. We don't know exactly what it was, but I would imagine it was something like this. He realizes that he has just helped kill this man who didn't deserve it. He realizes that a man who didn't deserve to die has just died, and he realizes that he, who is a man who deserves to die, will now live. This is the gospel, right? That God made him who knew no sin to become our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He took on our darkness so that we would get the light. two things that this means for us this morning. It means if you're here and you've never received Jesus, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus has made a way for you and he wants you to, he wants to invite you to live a life in the light. A life centered on him with all the joy and the freedom that's that life comes with, all you have to do is receive him. All you have to do is confess the same thing that the centurion said, truly, this man is the son of God. Just to ask Jesus, confess this to Jesus, Jesus, I turn away from the darkness and I want you to help me walk in the light. Some of you, many of you may be here this morning and you're a Christian, but you find yourself walking in darkness. Now listen, we, we all fall into the darkness sometimes, right? But maybe you don't know how to get out. Maybe you find yourself kind of falling back into it again and again and listen hear me say this like that struggle is real I don't want to sit here and tell you that you might not continue to struggle because the struggle itself 
is part of how God works darkness out of our life. Even the Apostle Paul said, right, why do I continue to do the things that I wish that I wouldn't do? But Jesus wants you to see that in this moment, he defeated the power of darkness over you. It has no sway. It can't hold you. And so, when 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you can believe that. He can cleanse you, just keep coming. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're, you feel darkness not because you're wrestling with sin, maybe you just feel it because you just you feel lonely. Maybe you're going through something right now and you just feel like you're on your own. You just feel like, like nobody's with you. You feel like nobody can sympathize with what you're going through. And what you can see here is not necessarily why you're going through that. But you can see why you're not going through it. You're not going through it because God has abandoned you. You're not going through it because you're alone, because even Jesus experienced what you've experienced and far worse. And so you can know, even in this moment where you feel alone, that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, that Jesus has been there. He has been in that dark moment. He has been alone, rejected, mocked, separated from his Father. But he did it for even your sin to draw you near to him. And so... We're going to enter a time where we can just respond to what Jesus has done for us in this passage. We have this opportunity to come, regardless of where we are, and be reminded of all that Jesus did to take on this darkness. If, you've, if you're here in you've already made that decision to trust Jesus, whether you've done it in the past or um, you did it right now in this moment, we're gonna take communion together. If you haven't made that decision, then this is an opportunity for you just sit there and reflect on what you've heard and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask him to, like, you can ask him to do that, ask him to reveal to you if this is true. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 12, or 11, 23 through 25. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had been given his bread, the bread, he, he gave thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we want to invite you to come. Come and partake of the bread and the blood. Come and receive Jesus' power over darkness on your behalf. Let's come. Let's stand in response to the Lord together.